Okay, family, so before we get started, I want to encourage us about something. You know, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was looking at the text, and, and, and this is what the text comes down to. The text comes down to is that Paul is writing a letter to the Ephesian leaders, the elders. And he begins to tell them three years of ministries how he served the Lord. And the thing that the Lord was really showing me was this is that Paul is communicating his race that he's been running, his life. So I began to think about it, and the Lord really put it in my heart to see it this way. When a marathon race gets started, you have many different types of runner in a marathon. You have some people who just want to finish the race and be the first ones to cross the finish line. You have others that want to make sure they just, you know, get, go with the pack and, and, and complete the race as a group. You have others that just want to go race. But they all have one thing in common, one goal in common, is that they want to finish the race. No racer shows up on race day to say, hey, I'm going to give up on mile number two, right? I mean, that'd be kind of crazy. Why even show up, Right? They don't go with that mindset. They go with the mindset is I'm going to go run a race and I'm going to go finish my race. And you know what's interesting about a race and a marathon is that you never know what kind of weather you're going to get. If you're in Texas, like we are here, we get a lot of Texas heat and it gets hot, really hot. And we all know the weather in Houston like the saying goes, if you don't like the weather in Houston, wait five minutes and they'll change on you because it will. It could be 40 degrees in the morning and, and afternoon, it's 95 degrees. You're like, man, I'm sweating, it's hot. But a runner will experience obstacles in his race. There will be difficulty in his race or her race. Because in a race, you're trying to finish. So today's sermon title is called Finish Well. So we're going to look at what it means to live a life called by God. A life as, as we're compelled to love Christ, where it leads us to finish well. Because, you know, when you watch, you know, like YouTube or you watch the TV and you always see that one runner on TV who's like the last person and everybody's cheering them on. And everybody's excited for this one person. And it's like this person has won the whole thing, right? And they're like, yeah, you did it. You and they're like the last person. It's like 10 o'clock at night, you know? And every, they're like a place number 1,000, you know, 50 or whatever. But they finished the race. And people on the sidelines encouraging the runners. All today I want to do is I want to encourage us as we run our race that the Lord has called us to. Because the Apostle Paul is doing just that. He's encouraging the Ephesian leaders to run their race. And he begins to tell of his ministry starting in verse 17. He gathers them. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, this is what he tells them. 
You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials and what happened that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews, to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. Mm, 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 mm. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me. In every city that, I, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. And the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is telling them about this race that he's running. And he begins to tell them how he served these three years. So this is what we can extract from the text. Is that Paul has served humbly. But what has led Paul to serve in that way? See, to run a race, we first must enter the race. You can't run a race if you're not entered in the race. You can watch it on TV and think you know what it is to experience it. But until you enter the race, and the way you enter this race we call the faith is by faith. It's not you doing something. It's not you trying to prove to God who you are. And how well you obey, but by faith. When we enter this race, as we're following the course that God has sent every one of us on, because God has directed our steps, and he knows where he's going to take us and lead us and put us in places where we can be the gospel light to share hope with someone in their, in their time of need, to encourage the person that's falling behind in the race, not to do more work, but to trust in Christ, to turn from their unbelief, because we all need to be encouraged. What I don't want to do today is give you a to-do list of what you need to do to get closer to God. What I want to do today is explain to you how we serve the Lord because our hearts are compelled to. And I love what Paul says in Philippians, if you could turn there with me, that's Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And Paul tells us the mind and heart to have as we serve Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself and he took the form of a servant. This is the king of glory. This is the great king on high who needs nothing. And he puts on flesh and blood. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Not any kind of death, but death on a cross. A humiliating way to die. Naked, bruised, tortured, blood dripping from his face and body, beaten on beyond the recognition of a man. Knowing these things, he still did it. But he did so humbly, taking on the form of a servant. (laughs) Taking on the form of a servant. And so Paul reminds the brothers in Ephesus to finish well. We have to be humble. Why? Because the love of Christ compels us to be humble. The love of Christ, the example that he gives us in how we're to live. Putting others' interests before ours. But that's not the way of the world, is it? The saying goes, I got to get mine, right? I got to get mine. That's the kind of world we live in. But what God calls us to do is to die to the old nature because of who we are in Christ now. We were once dead in our trespasses, but we've been made alive in Christ. We've been raised to newness, right? And so Paul's encouraging these Ephesians how to walk, how to live their life in light of the finish line. And he tells them about the trials and tribulations. You know, I think about runners as they're running and the obstacles that they come across. Obviously, you can tell that I am not a runner, but there are people here in this congregation that, have, that do run, and they tell me about it. And I'm like, man, God bless you for that, brother. I'm running the race called the faith, brother. I'll run that race. And at the end of the day, they tell me how hard it is to run. How they get, they call them shin splits. And I'm like, man, I get that for just walking, you know? Man, for real. But you know, trials and tribulations come, family. They do. See, see, the faith that we have is not a promised walk without tribulations and trials. They're not. I mean, think about it. The disciples experienced trials and tribulations when Jesus was right next to them. But you know what a good reminder is? Is that Jesus was right next to them. And now that we're in Christ, Jesus is in us. And he will never leave us. And he tells us words of comfort. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome So we could take heart in those moments of trials and tribulations because we know the testing of our faith produces endurance. It does. That constraint, 
that fear, that trial leads us more to look and depend upon the Lord. Think about your greatest time of fear, guilt, shame. Either it did one thing to you, it did two things to you. Either A, it led you to a place of brokenness with no hope, or B, it led you to a place to look upon Jesus and call upon him when everything looked dark, when there was no hope. And you saw God deliver you from the situation. That's because God is faithful. And we also see that Paul encouraging the Ephesians to not shrink back. Because he's, you know, he's listing out what he's done. But, he, but he's doing it for a purpose. Look at what he says, verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. We have to understand that the gospel message is offensive to the flesh. Being real. The gospel says this to us. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot achieve the love of God by what we do. We can never earn. We can obey for a thousand years and never get it right. Because the moment we fall one time, we're guilty of breaking all God's law. But he encourages these believers for a reason. Because Paul knows this is the power of God for transformation. Because remember, these are the early Christian, the early Christians that are following Jesus. And he's encouraging these elders that they would go and make disciples. The reality is that, family, we need to be reminded today is that, again, it's not a to-do but who we are. And today I want us to be encouraged to speak the gospel into everyday life, to everyday people where you're at. You are the light, the salt, the ambassadors of Christ. You could tell me how you failed. You could tell me how, where you're at right now. You could tell me all the stuff that you're going through. But at the end of the day, what I'm going to point you to is the cross, and remind you what's been done for you. You're never out, out too far from God's reach or his grace to redeem and restore where you're at. We have to be ready to declare the truths of the gospel, even in the midst of the trial, man. It's hard to do that, isn't it? When you're, I mean, let's, let's just be real for a second. I'm just going to go off here. It's really hard to share who Jesus is and his love and his promises when everything is hitting the fan. Am I right? Or am I the only one that feels that way? When I'm having a bad day, my heart doesn't want to share about Jesus. I'm the first one yelling and screaming. I'm just going to be real. Complaining about my day. Looking at myself. At the end of the day, what I'm telling you is that I tend to believe and trust in my own self. That's not the gospel. Because you know why? Because there have been times I've seen God's hand move in the worst days of my life where God opens up a door for me to share the gospel with somebody. And had I been so closed, so focused on me, I would have missed that opportunity to share the hope with that person. 
So no matter if we're having a good day or a bad day, we need to be reminded of whose we are. I mean, really, real talk. Because at the end of the day, family, I'm going to tell you all something. Like all this letter is about is encouraging leaders, followers of Jesus. I want to encourage you today that the walk that you're walking right now, no matter where you're at, you may be in a season of sin, brokenness. Maybe you walked away from God at this season. I've been there. All those things. A, moment, a season of unbelief, a season of anger, a season of hurt. I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't. He really doesn't. If he began a work in you, he's just and faithful to complete that work. And that right there is a beautiful thing. Because we can look in the moment of our brokenness when we feel that we've lost faith, that it was never dependent upon our faith. Salvation was never dependent upon you. It wasn't a decision that you made. It wasn't because you signed a card. It wasn't because a preacher told you so. It was because God initiated before time began out of his love and great mercy for you. I love what Paul says, how, how he doesn't account in verse 24. He says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. This is Paul the apostle who was shipwrecked, beaten, thrown out. And he says this in Philippians. It's one of my favorite verses. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, the thing is, we think too much highly of our lives. You know, I'm going to tell you all this. So last week, we weren't here, right, because we were in Colorado on um, on a work trip for like a software design that I was working on. And as I was up there, I was really like just like, like introspecting, looking at my life. And I began to think to myself, man, I, I've become so complacent. I've become so comfortable. I've come to the place where I can operate in a place where most people, because of the way God's designed me, it looks uncomfortable to most people. But because I'm, I'm always in high stress situations, it's just normal to me. And I realized that I, become, I was so self-centered and I'd become so self-sufficient. And I had become to, I'd come to the point where I was so comfortable. And I asked myself this question. Who here likes to be in uncomfortable positions? Can I get a show of hands? Anybody? Y'all like being in uncomfortable positions? Oh, you don't? Okay, I was making sure. Because I know I don't. I know I don't. I like being comfortable. Like, I'm going to be real. Like, I like being comfortable. And I started believing the lie that I was living a sacrificial life for Christ. Not to earn his love. No, no, no. But I was living a sacrificial life for the kingdom. But in reality, I was counting my life of high value. And as I read this, I was reminded, like, man, like we need to get to the point, I need to be reminded that our lives here on earth, I mean, realistically, 
Like, we do understand that one day we are going to die, right? We all, we all know that, right? But we forget that. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Appreciate that. We all know that. And here's the thing that we, we so focus on. We focus on the here and the now, like if it's the ultimate thing. Like this is it. And so we, we concern ourselves with, with financial possessions, job titles, success, careers. And we focus on those things as though they're ultimate things. And we make those things, those good things, as God things. And we slowly start building our tower. And we slowly start to say, oh, we're still following God, but all the while building our own kingdom up. I want to be at that point where the Lord leads me and shows me to live as Christ, to die as gain. We're going to spend eternity with the Father. In his home, there are many rooms. If it were not true, Jesus would not have told us so. But he tells us he has prepared a place for you and I to be in his presence for all of eternity. Not some distant, far-off God, but a God who is here, that is near, that lives in us. And I want us to be reminded that whatever gain we've had, we count it as loss for the sake of Christ. That we count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. For his sake, that we would suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3, 7. I love that. I love that. One day we'll be before our king. Let's not get caught up in America's view of complacency. We become comfortable Christians. Let's live a life that compels us to love Christ and to do as he did, to follow Jesus. Not to be more like Paul, because Paul was following Jesus, but to be more like Christ. We do know, right, what it says in 2 Corinthians, how he was rich and he became poor, so we would become rich through his sacrifice. So to finish well, we need to be driven by the love of Christ. Anything outside of that is going to lead you down a works-based relationship with God. Let me say that one more time. If the love of Christ is not compelling you to follow, to seek him, to put sin to death, to look to your, to look to your problems, say, hey, listen, I know these problems, these trials, these tribulations, I know they're coming, but I'm going to let the love of Christ compel me to obey, to follow, to trust in that, God, you're working all things together for the good for me because I love you. Because we could easily miss it and think it's by what we do who we are. Because that's the way of the world. When you get in a conversation with somebody, you don't say, uh, so who are you? Most people say, well, I'm an engineer. I'm a landscaper. And so they identify by what they do. We're children of God. Purchased by the blood of Jesus. We're not our own. 
We have a purpose that God has created us for. And today, I just want to encourage us as we try to finish well, that the Lord will give you the strength that you need to run this race. The Lord will lead you to where he wants you to go. The Lord will provide all your needs. And if it's not the love of Christ that's compelling us, we're going to get hurt along the way. I guarantee it, family. Paul then tells the Ephesian leaders to be alert. He says in verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now he is speaking to Ephesian leaders. He's speaking to overseers, to deacons or shepherds. Presbyterio is what it's called in Greek. I think that's where we get the word Presbyterian from. I'm just going to take a guess at that. The frozen chosen, that's what I heard this week. Something like that. Okay. So at the end of the day, he's speaking to leaders. But this is a reminder for us all that the church of Christ has been purchased by his blood. But we need to be on guard, family. We need to be on guard because we need to know the whole counsel of God that Paul spoke about in verse 27. He says, for I did not shrink back declaring to you the whole counsel of God. See, as followers of Jesus, we need to understand the gospel. Because what's happened now is that people, they'll go, they'll hear a sermon, think it's truth, walk away thinking they've received something. In reality, they never go check the scriptures. It doesn't line up with the gospel itself. And it becomes a man-made sermon about what you need to do. And so that's why Paul warns his listeners, Ephesian leaders, he says, be alert. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Here it is. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, that's us, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So the question I have is, how do you know what someone is telling you when you come and gather as a body of Christ? How do you know what I'm telling you is true? Because I'm just a brother in Christ. I'm just a passionate disciple that wants to worship Jesus. I'm not a preacher. I'm just a passionate disciple. That's all I am. But how do you know what I'm telling you is true? Be, I mean, just being real talk. See, we have to be like the Bereans Searching the scriptures, seeing what God's word says, and we need to know the whole counsel of God. And this is the whole counsel of God in a nutshell. It's about God's redemptive plan from the beginning to restore broken and lost men and women unto himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That it was Christ, the one redeeming us, him becoming a curse for us. That it was Christ who did the work, not us. 
We need to know that the message needs to be about our brokenness and how God's redeemed us from our brokenness. Because if it's not about that, then it becomes about what you need to be to be a better person, how you can be a stronger believer, and it becomes about you. If the message of the gospel is not about Jesus, then it's not a gospel message. It's a man-centered message. And I want to encourage you all to always look toward that, that it be a message about Jesus. And then Paul, he encourages, he encourages these Ephesians. He says, verse 32, he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. He's saying, I didn't, I didn't want any of the stuff you guys had, but I worked building tents for my own needs, supply my needs. And to those who are with me in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. We have to be givers and not takers. It is better to give than to receive. This is upside down from the world, right? Normally we want to store up what we have for ourselves. But in Jesus' kingdom, it's all upside down. So this is what I want to, I want to tell us to look through. And I'm, I'm, as I'm, I'm closing shortly here with this, but I want us to look at the Lord Jesus, how he gave it all for us. He didn't withhold anything. He laid everything down for us. <coughs> to finish well, we need to be givers, not takers. Man, you know, um, I think it's important that, that, that where we live, like literally where we live in our, in our houses, that our neighbors next to us, that we would actually know their needs as people. Like, for real. You know, I'm not talking about just like, and I did this for years. The, you know, the, the high, you know, the high and by and the smile. You know what I'm talking about? Where you drive by and you see your neighbors and you do the high and the by, you know, but you never know them. You never know what, you're, what they're going through, Right? See, we can't be superficial like that as Christians. We need to be deeper. We need to love. Even if they part. My, my neighbors, <clears throat> I love my neighbors. There are times they party till 3 or 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning. Like those hours when they have parties. And for a long time, it would get on my nerves. Because, I mean, all you hear is the bass, doom, 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 doom. And I'm like, man, bro, like how many times can you play that same song over and over again? But, you know, for so many years, I, I kind of just kept my distance from them. And it was the last past two years I really started being intentional of reaching out to them. And this past year, my neighbor actually lost their grandma, and he lost his wife. So the husband and his wife, and then across the street, literally in front, is the, is the uh, daughter 
and they lost their grandma and his wife. And I was just like, man, Lord, like, like I didn't want to get caught up on the neck. Like, I could have known them longer. I could minister the gospel to them more. It was more like, okay, Lord, <clears throat> like, I, I realize why I'm here. I need to be more intentional about reaching my neighbors because the love of Christ needs to compel me because he came and sought me. I didn't go looking for him. I didn't find Jesus. I could never find Jesus on my own. You kidding me? The lifestyle that I used to live? No way. They need mercy and grace. So what I want us to do, family, is to meet the needs of others. May it be our neighbors or the family of God. You know, we call ourselves family in this room. And so what I want to do is something very drastic and different. I want to encourage you to be intentional about reaching out to somebody in this group. And I know we're missing people today, but, you know, Pastor Sergio's not here and a couple other members are not here because they're in Austin for the wedding. But I want us to be intentional about reaching out to another brother or sister in this congregation and finding out what their needs are. And I'll be honest with you, family. Sometimes somebody's need is just a hug. It's just being told how much you love them. And sometimes there's real needs, financial needs. But we need to be reminded of the early church of Christ. Like it says in Acts 2, I'll read it to you. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Who in this group, in this familia, has needs? God has blessed you to be able to meet the financial needs, the spiritual help to restore your brother or sister. If we truly believe what our Lord Jesus said, that, that, it's, that we're called to love our neighbor like ourselves, I mean, I mean, how, I mean, just, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. But, 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 but let me say this. How radical would that be in the church? If we truly lived that out, I mean, for real. Like if I knew that you had a need and I was able to help you, let's say maybe you lost your job. And I said, you know what? The Lord's blessed me with the company. It's not mine. It's his. And I'm going to give you a job for three months or for three weeks or until you find a job. I'm able to meet that need with the gift that God's given me and the business he's, he's entrusted me with. Or maybe a spiritual help that I need. Maybe I'm going through a tough time in my relationship and I just need someone to pray with me, to stand in the gap with me. I know Jesus is there with me, but I want my brother or sister there with me. Like how radical would that be? And there's a great book that I love. It's by Jeff Vanderstelt, and it's called Gospel. It's called Saturate. And he has all these extreme examples of grace 
and, and meeting the needs of the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. But see, I want us to move from, 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 from just gathering on a Sunday or Thursday or Wednesday or Tuesday, but to being the body of Christ, not for my sake, but because our Lord calls us to love those as our neighbors. Like how radical would that be? What would that say to the outside world looking in? Like words would not even need to be spoken. But imagine what that would look like if we loved each other radically like that and met each other's needs. And see, what can lead us to that is the love of Christ compelling us to do so. Let the love of Christ compel you to do that. His sacrifice be the reminder how he gave all we give of our time, our treasure, and our talent for the kingdom of God, for his glory. Because this place, family, is not our home. To finish well, we must be reminded that this place is not our home. We're just passing on through. Passing on through. I finish with this. Today, I invite anybody who's at the point where they, maybe they feel that they walked away from God. I actually want to invite people today to repent of their sin and to trust in Jesus. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm just going to call you to trust in Jesus, to turn away. Because at the end of the day, family, For you to run a race, you have to be in the race. Today I call you to repent and trust in Christ because he alone is the one that can forgive you. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. It doesn't matter if you've walked away. It doesn't matter if you're mad at God. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of repentance. Man, the Father is waiting for us with open arms, waiting for us to turn and to trust in him. And that's where he wants us. As I recap, and I'm done with this, I remember hearing preachers say that he said that for an hour straight, and he didn't finish. But I do finish with this for application, for next steps to finish well. We have to repent and trust in in Jesus. We have to trust in faith alone, in Christ alone. We have to turn away from the sin that we're loving more than Jesus. Or the lies that we're trusting more than Jesus' truth. We have to live our lives in eternity mindset that this is not our final destination. Let us pursue faith, love, peace. Let's learn God's truth. Let's learn his word. Let's meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in the body. Let the love of Christ compel us to do so. Let's pray. Father, we need you, Lord. Lord, lead our hearts, Lord. Lead our hearts, Lord, to be compelled by the love of Christ. Remind us, Lord God, that you're the one 
that allows us to even love you, Lord. And it is your goodness that leads us to repentance, Lord. Let us hear of your goodness and your, and your promises, Lord, through your gospel this day, Lord, as we've heard. That it's you alone that have provided for our needs. That you're the only one that we have hope in. Where else can we go, Lord? You're the one with eternal life. Your words are eternal life, Lord. We can't go nowhere, Lord. We need of you, Lord, to stay. Let the love of Christ compel us, Lord, to seek you, Lord, to follow you, Lord, to do what you ask us to do. You don't need our help, Lord. Your word is sufficient, Lord, and it goes out and accomplishes its purpose, Lord. You're the one that changes hearts and minds. But, Lord, we're just your vessels that go out. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that whatever my brothers and sisters are going through today, Lord, Whatever it is that they're dealing with, Lord, today, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would bring them to a place to be reminded of your glorious truths, Lord. That though we have insufficiencies and though we fail over and over, Lord, you have looked upon us and said, son, daughter, and you are well pleased because of the work of Christ. Let our hearts be reminded, Lord, that we're yours. We're your children by faith. For those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts, that they would know you, that they would have that burning heart, Lord, for you, Lord. For those who are experienced burnout, who feel tired, who feel weary, who feel burdened, who feel like the race is just impossible to finish, I pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would ignite a passion in their hearts, that you would remind them, Lord, that you don't make mistakes. That what you start, you finish. That this race that you have set before us, Lord, that you will supply our strength and our needs, Lord. And it doesn't matter what comes. Trials, tribulations, you promised us. But to take heart in you, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for the weary soul who's believed a lie that they've out God's grace, your grace. Lord, that you would show them, Lord, that you have not casted them away. But in fact, you're waiting for them with open arms, not rejecting them, loving them. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. <laughs>